Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. I'm Manali. And I'm Nasreen. Manali, it's the new year and we both have had some big changes. Yeah, we did. We both started new jobs. It's been super exciting. Besides upgrading your job, did you achieve your previous New Year's resolution? I did. I got better about remembering my reusable bags at the grocery store. What did you do to celebrate that and the New Year? I saw the fireworks. You were there with me. Yes. Yes, I was. And they were pretty dope. Um, But speaking of fireworks, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Yes. Yes, I do. So this is episode 27A, Plastic Bags, Drifting Through the Wind, Wanting to Start Again. There really needs to be some other, like, pop culture reference with plastic bags. (laughs) I don't know. I think Katy Perry wins that one. Not plastic bags for good, Nasreen. I have to admit, it's pretty hard to live completely without them. It's true. Even if I wanted to eliminate them completely, I have to keep some around, at least to take out my trash. Or, like we said previously, to store or carry out meat from the grocery store and as doggy poop bags. That's true. As much as I don't like plastic, I don't like seeing dog poop laying around in the streets. As a public service plea to everyone, please pick up after your dog. The environment forgives you for using plastic to do this. It really does. Anyway, like we said, plastic has great barrier properties, meaning it's hard for water or oil or poop to penetrate through. So it's great for packaging because it keeps things protected. Or at least separate. Oh, you said poop penetration. (laughs) Plastic is also more durable in cases. Paper bags are easy to rip. So as much as I hate to admit it, I still need plastic bags in my life. Same. But where did plastic come from? It's used for so many things, but especially bags. So when a mommy plastic bag and a daddy plastic love each other very much... Um, no. Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. So plastics came about as an alternative to natural materials when those materials became scarce. It wasn't a decision made by two plastic bags to procreate. In 1869, a New York firm was looking for a substitute for ivory because the demand for billiard balls was increasing and this was killing off elephants. It was kind of ridiculous. That's very ridiculous. And that's why they wanted alternatives. So John Wesley Hyatt, learned that by treating cellulose from cotton fibers with camphor, he could make a rigid, stiff material called celluloid. Cellulose, the rescue, saving elephants since 1869. (laughs) But not for long. In 1907, Leo Bakeland invented Bakelite, and he was looking for a substitute for shellac as an insulation material. What is shellac? Shellac? Or shellac is a natural resin secreted by the female lac bug on trees in the forests of India and Thailand. It's like a natural lacquer. Ew, bug secreted goop. Yeah, it's gross. I bet that's why Leo was looking for an alternative. Bakelite was invented as a substitute, and it was supposedly the first fully synthetic plastic, meaning no molecules commonly found in nature were used to make this. 
So these two inventions, celluloid and Bakelite, really got people and scientists excited, which sparked a wave of science and innovation to create more materials like this. By World War II, the scarcity of some materials and a desire for innovation led to the invention and proliferation of different types of plastic, so particularly polyethylene. War. What is it good for? Plastics, apparently. <laughs> I think we've used this joke before. Only in like one episode, and we <laughs> encourage all kinds of recycling. We really do. And we must also note that many different people have claimed the first invention of polyethylene, but it is said that it was first invented accidentally as early as 1898 by German scientists. And it was rediscovered several times independently, but new methods to make, to make it include having the right catalysts, and these were all important discoveries. Check out Ziegler and Nata if you are interested in learning more about these. Is that like a cool science club? What? No. Well, maybe. Ziegler and Nata are two people who did cool science together. Maybe they were in a club. You think they'd let me join? I mean, they're definitely dead now, but if you'd asked earlier, maybe. I missed my chance. In any case, it was really around World War II that major discoveries in making plastic at usable scales took off. What's interesting is that after World War II, consumers really didn't trust plastic. It took some time to adjust. And once again, while readily used, people don't trust it now. Yeah, but at least now it's because there's a hundred years of information we have about it, including the microplastics issue. But like we said, it's really a good choice and safer for a lot of things, especially packaging when you're trying to avoid contamination. Until a good bio-based alternative comes along anyway. Why don't we do celluloid anymore, you know? But at least for now, polyethylene and propylene are versatile and easy to manufacture and pretty low cost to make. So, how are plastic bags made, and what are they made of exactly, and if we have to keep them around, what can we do with them at the end of their life? One question at a time. Okay, okay, fine. So, what are plastic bags made of? So, most plastic bags that we see at the grocery stores are made of a class of polymers called olefins. These are typically derived from fossil fuels and are just long strings of carbon and hydrogen. Olefins can be numbers 2, 4, 5 plastics in the resin identification codes. Those are the numbers that you see in the triangle symbols on your plastic products. Plastic bags are usually only number 4, low-density polyethylene. Basically, when petroleum or sometimes even natural gas is refined, their hydrocarbons, meaning carbons and hydrogens, are broken down into a chemical unit called ethylene. The ethylene can then be processed and strung together to make polyethylene or polypropylene. So what's the difference between the different number polyethylene and polypropylenes? It's how their monomer units are strung together and how much, how dense they are, or their density. So the mass per the volume of the unit. Yeah, so plastic film can be number two, which is high-density polyethylene. It's much more rigid, and its polymer chains are more like a straight line which can be squeezed together in a tighter configuration. Think organized spaghetti. If you play with your spaghetti and put it all in straight lines, you could get polyethylene. 
Maybe like string would be a better example. Nah, you gotta play with your food, kids. So that type of plastic is the one used in milk cartons because you need it to be rigid and strong. But number four is lower density polyethylene. These polymer chains have branches, kind of like branches coming off of trees. They take up more space or volume. The low density plastic that you get from the grocery bag, you'll notice is much more stretchy and not as strong. Yeah, so you might only get a couple of uses in before it rips or stretches too far. And that is usually what plastic bags are made of. With a lot of variation in density and stuff in between. And also, I guess you could cut the top off a milk jug and take it to bring your groceries in. But it wouldn't be super useful. That would be an interesting... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, Manali, the next question was, how are plastic bags made exactly? Is it just as simple as what we described? No, there are actually a bunch of steps. You have to extract, refine, polymerize, and compound. In extraction, you've got your raw materials, including crude oil or natural gas. These can be complex mixtures of thousands of compounds that then need to be extracted and taken out. Then these materials have to be refined, like heating crude oil and putting it into a furnace, distilling it, and separating out the heavier and lighter oil fractions. Then eventually you get the fractions you need to get the right monomers, the ethylene, propylene, butylene, etc. Then comes the polymerization part. You basically turn these monomers into polymers. You put the monomers into a reactor with catalysts, and a bunch of chemical steps happen that bind these monomers together, and polymer pellets or powders come out at the end. Then in the compounding step, you've got the pellets that can be blended in with other things if you want. But that's not all. There's a bunch of more steps like melting and flattening and stretching them into shape. More steps? I'm already tired. Yes, this is why chemical engineers and chemists exist. They can figure out all that boring stuff out first, and then the fun material science part will come after that. That's what we do, like turning the plastic pellets into bags. The melted plastic pellets are flowed into a circular tunnel where air is blown through a hole with the melted plastic surrounding it until it starts cooling into shape. It's kind of like blowing bubbles. You know the ones where you stand in the middle of a circle with the soap and somebody uses a big wand to make a bubble around you? Yeah, the bubble is like a giant tube around you. Or it's like those giant inflatable plastic flowy things that are outside of car dealerships with the hands waving about. What are those called? I think according to the internet, they're called like inflatable tube guys or tube men or fly guys. So that's basically what's happening to turn plastic pellets into a plastic bag. Then the plastic becomes really thin with a hole in the middle, like a tube, and then it dries into the shape that you've made. This giant continuous tube of thin plastic is rolled up and then sent to a converter or a manufacturer that'll do more things to it to make it usable or customizable for a company. A converter may put coatings on the plastic so it accepts ink to be able to print a logo. For the rest of this episode, I would like to call plastic bags fly guys. Well, many of those tube men are white, so pretty fly. I hope that joke lands. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Nasreen, we just talked about making these plastic bags, but what about recycling them? Plastic bags can definitely be recycled, but they can't go in your regular curbside recycling bin, in the United States anyway. Why not? The recycling infrastructure in the U.S. is really geared towards hard materials such as cans, bottles, cardboard. Okay, so plastic bottles are fine in this system. Exactly, but the bags can float away or get into the machinery and cause it to jam up and slow down the whole system. Those sneaky plastic bags can wrap themselves around parts of the machine and and even fully shut it down. Which is a big economic burden and can cost recycling facilities lots of money. More money, more problems, I always say. Well, more money lost, more problems. Right, right. So that's why we need the store drop-off system. Exactly. Plastic bags can be brought back to certain store drop-off locations, such as in Target or Kroger or Walmart and many other retailers. Other things you can drop off in the same bins as plastic bags are things like bubble wrap, dry cleaning bags, bread bags, and even Ziplocs. These are all made with low-density polyethylene. Make sure to remove any receipts or staples before dropping these off. But what happens to these bags after they're dropped off? Well, first, all of these flexible plastic bags and wraps are collected together. These bags are then shredded up and turned back into pellets like we talked about earlier. Yep, the plastic bags are melted down and then extruded into little pellet pieces. And then these pellets can be remade into more plastic bags. Sometimes they're also shipped to other companies that will take the pellets and upcycle them into other materials. Yeah, Trex is a company that does this and turns the plastic bag pellets into decking material or benches. In fact, more than 50% of Trex products are made from recycled plastic bags. We shouldn't be doing free ads, Nasreen. But you said it. (laughs) We can do free ads for good companies that help the environment. Okay, that's fair. Fair enough. Recycling one ton of plastic bags saves 11 barrels of oil from being used, so good job, Trex. That's a lot of oil. Yeah, which is what I don't get. If these plastic bags can get recycled so easily, then why are we so against them? Actually, just because they can be recycled doesn't mean that it actually happens regularly. What do you mean by that? Unfortunately, only 1% of all plastic bags are recycled. The rest gets incinerated or ends up in landfills or the oceans. Well, that's a real bummer. It really is. One of the problems is color. When bags are dyed, they get harder to recycle. The dye gets into the melted plastic batches and makes new products look contaminated. Right, and the other problem is economics. Virgin plastic is just cheaper to make. Even with all those steps we mentioned earlier, big oil is so big that fossil fuel is really easy to come by. Exactly. And the effort of trying to decontaminate recycled material is not always worth the cost. Ugh. I wish recycling was cheaper and then we could do it all the time. Another problem with the recycled material is that every time you try to recycle it and reuse it, the polymer loses some of its strength. So the virgin materials are stronger and have better properties. So even if we wanted to always recycle, at some point you're going to need new virgin material. So I'm sure it comes as no surprise that many localities and states have implemented plastic bag bans. It's not just plastic bags. Technically in New Jersey, it also includes paper bags. But I have noticed lots of places just give out paper bags 
instead of plastic is kind of weird. That seems fine. Paper bags I can recycle from my curbside bin, but the plastic I have to take somewhere. Still, people have been trying to encourage the reduction of plastic bags usage for years. Like we said four years ago in episode one, Target will give you back five cents for every usable bag. Wait, Target even does that in states where they ban plastic bags? You would have to bring your own bags anyway. Yeah, you just put in, you just type in that you brought your own bags and it gives you five cents off. That's awesome. Other places will do other sorts of rebates, similar to the states where you get money back for bringing back glass bottles. What was the first place to ban plastic bags in the U.S.? Unsurprisingly, it was Hawaii, all the way back in 2012. It's got to protect its beautiful habitats. And then since then, a lot more states have come on board, including Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, New York, New Jersey, Oregon, and Vermont. Each state has slightly different stipulations of the bans, fees, or even taxes, but the effect is the same, reducing single-use plastic bags or even paper bags, compostable bags, straws, or styrene containers. Lots of people were very against these bans. The plastic industry lobbied and fought really hard against these because it would obviously be terrible for their livelihoods. We'll talk more about that in our interview with Trent Romer, who was the CEO of his family-owned plastic bags business. And he'll talk about what he did to help his company adapt to being more sustainable. Lots of consumers were mad about it, too. And I heard complaining before it even started. People are just used to rolling up to the store and having their stuff handed to them in a plastic bag. The bans force them to change their habits. But these bans do keep rolling out in different municipalities and different states, so the complaining isn't working. So, have we seen any actual changes to the environment by implementing these bans? Like, are they working, whatever working looks like? Yeah. In May 2022, the Plastics Advisory Council published a report following the progress of the ban for the first eight months after it was implemented in New Jersey. Their findings included that 16.5 billion plastic bags were removed from the waste stream. Yes. Other things included like 110 million paper bags being removed and 15 million plastic straws being removed as well. They also saw more than a 35% reduction in different types of plastic, bag, straw, and foam litter on New Jersey beaches. Maybe the New Jersey beaches are worth visiting now. Harsh, but, but true. The environmental group Clean Ocean Action showed a big jump in within a year with the amount of plastic bags, straws, and foam they usually have to clean up in beaches in New Jersey, from Cape May to Sandy Hook. Your inner Jersey showing again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually very cool. I'm really glad that they were able to make such a big impact, and it shows that policy definitely can make a difference and is making lasting change. Yeah, it encourages people to reuse, or reduce, or both. And many companies that are now giving out plastic bags or cloth bags tell you how many times you can reuse them. They are redesigned to be more durable, so they are no longer single-use. Yep, and we talked about how things like that type of data are very important in our past episodes about greenwashing. 
So this is an example that companies are doing good by clearly labeling the exact tests that they have done to ensure that their new bags are reusable and by how many times. Well, that's good. But I feel like now there'll just be a lot more reusable plastic bags. Waste. Uh, people will just keep buying them when they forget. And this also leads to making more waste. That's true. But hopefully by paying for them enough times, it'll encourage people to change the way they behave. I know that's going to take a lot of time. My sister's coworker keeps getting her groceries delivered in those reusable bags, and she keeps bringing them to work to give away. My family has adopted like 20 of them from this one person. Oh my god, that's entirely too many bags. I mean, I reuse them, but now I also have too many and will eventually need to throw them away. Yeah, that's not good. One study from the University of Georgia found that while the policies are well-intentioned, they may end up making more plastic. People often reuse the plastic bags from the stores for their trash can liners, but without them, people end up having to specifically buy more plastic bags anyway. This is also like what Starbucks did by removing the straws, and it ended up with their lids having actually more plastic. So a lot of the times, the changes that are implemented don't necessarily move the needle in the right direction. There are many more studies and people measuring the impact of the bans and the policies long term. I guess time will tell. I'm glad that I do the science and not the policy. That part seems a lot trickier. Agreed. Listen in to our interview with Trent Romer, the author of the books, This Is Our Home and Finding Sustainability. He'll speak to us about his path to sustainability for himself and for his family-owned plastic bags business. This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. Music is by Shang Young. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGTM Podcast, or you can email us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com.